Welcome, and thanks for joining us for A Word from the Park, sermons offered by leaders of the Park Avenue Christian Church in New York City. So anyone who knows me and has been in the house before I prepare a meal is quite well familiar with the risk you take if you step into my kitchen while I am cooking. It's not something you should ever do. And I don't know if you grew up in a household where this is also true, but this was true with my father and, and probably all the people who came before, before all of us. Because in that space, when you're cooking, when I am cooking in my kitchen, I know that that is the time where I am preparing something for you and I am in a wonderful and sacred and holy and wonderful mood of preparing your nourishment and an experience. But if you're there, you're not going to draw out the beauty of that reflection Instead, I'd kind of turn into a mean person. And the wonderful thing about this text from 1 Samuel this morning is that I feel vindicated in my resistance to having people in my kitchen. What am I talking about? Now, this text is curious because on the surface you hear it and it delves into a very specific infraction that the sons of Eli had made. Do you remember what it was? So they walk into someone's home, into someone's kitchen with a three-pronged fork, pitchfork, steal the food out the pot that the people were preparing in their gift offering to the Lord. They take that food for themselves and then they leave. And this text reflects on such what might seem like a pretty surface infraction. That doesn't seem that serious, right? But as the text continues in 1 Samuel, you hear the reflection that indeed God was so angry that God was done with the sons of Eli. Let me give you some context for why this is that important. You will recall that God's people were instructed to offer a gift offering to God. And that, that there are all kinds of instructions in how God's covenant people were to do this. And you can see this in the first five books of the Bible, particularly in Deuteronomy uh, and Judges, some of those earlier books, where you find out what the right relationship of worship to God should be. And gift offerings, burnt offerings, was one of the ways that people did this. But the sons of Eli saw this as an opportunity to step in and insert themselves into this moment of worship, blessing, and praise, and God had wanted nothing to do with it. Let me tell you a little bit about who the sons of Eli were. Now, Eli, the one who had the sons, was a judge. He was the penultimate judge of Israel. Travis, sorry, I'm going to take a break for one second. Travis, this is... The feedback is a lot. You hear it? Okay, yeah, that's better. So the sons of Israel were, uh, sorry, the sons of Eli were these young men who were born to this man, Eli, who was a judge. And he was one of the righteous judges of Israel. Who were the judges of Israel? What does that even mean? As you read the biblical story, going through the first few books of the Bible, what you find is that as the population of God's covenant people continued to grow, 
They were seeking leadership, and there was always a leadership crisis amongst the followers of God. And so week, month, and year after year, there was some kind of conflict amongst God's people looking for right and righteous leadership. So at first, in the early days, you can see that the leadership came within the family structure. So you hear, of course, about the patriarchs and the matriarchs, Abraham, Sarah, etc. And then those names start to go to people who were appointed. And the first group of leaders that we really hear about are the judges. Because as all the ways of right worship and right living came a little bit more, became more codified, God's people were looking for somebody who could interpret those laws whenever there was conflict, either inside themselves or with others. And so, time after time, as a leader would be appointed, maybe a judge and others, as it started to move into a kingdom, we saw that these judges and these leaders had some problems. And just as we see today, there were moments of great tension around the transition from one leader to the next. And so, I don't know about you, but I love to read like the stories of the Tudors and, and all of these war stories amongst people who were, who were in conflict about how succession would work, right? And so we see that from king to king or judge to judge, people would argue and sort of start to try to insert themselves into this conflict. But what happens here is that we're looking at the limits of dynastic succession. The sons of Eli, as the text says, were worthless, or in other translations, they use the word scoundrel. And I like scoundrel better. It's a really satisfying term. So to prepare for today's word for you, I've really been marveling and sitting with this word scoundrel. And Dr. Gaffney, again, does use the word worthless, but the Hebrew word, which is belia'al, can be translated to worthless, but uh, to scoundrel. But I would love to tell you some other words that we could use here. And as I say what these words are, I would love for you to um, think of people who you think might fit this role. So another word for scoundrel might be villain or um, a person, a thief. And all of these sorts of folks who would get themselves into leadership really were trying to insert themselves into people's relationship with God. And that is problematic. These crooks, these rascals, cheats, creeps, dastards, good-for-nothing imps, lowlifes, miscreants, ne'er-do-wells, scalawags, I like that one, uh, scamps, rascals, thieves, vagabonds, villains, wretches, Eli's sons, any of those translations, they were that. And villainous, thieving, rascally, scalawag, low-life wretches are so dangerous to people's spiritual health. Why? The text today tells us that God, Elohim, was so upset with the sons of Eli because they prayed on people's need for a blessing. These creeps prayed on the people's needs in order to enrich themselves, and that left the people wanting. And if you believe in hell, believe me, I believe there's a special place in hell for people who 
these kinds of dastardly, good-for-nothing miscreants. And if you don't believe me, remember that they walked around with these pitchforks. The, the image is right there, right? <laughs> Their evil is clear. Does that sound familiar? And these devils would walk into people's homes while the people were giving thanks to God and praise to God. And they said, wait, no, hold on. Do this on my terms. You owe me. Gimme, gimme, gimme. But then nothing was ever enough for them. And it never is with these devils. They live in a hell of never having enough. But good folks. We read about the sons of Eli with a warning, I believe, for our times. Can you think of a moment or two where transition from one leader to the next has caused maybe a tad bit of, of uh, tension? And it seems to me, and I will proclaim this, that hell is empty and the devils are here and they're busy and they are out there to steal your food, your property, your loved ones, your wellness, your very being. It's there. It's present. It is a battle. And the sons of Eli folks are not dead. The people who have that same infraction against God, they just have a new name. So what do we do? First, I believe that we make sure that we ourselves don't become them. Greed is their primary motivation, and it is seductive, and it is contagious. We have to resist getting drawn into their habits, and that means, for you and me, looking into those insatiable thirsts that we have, because that's a spot that can be so dangerous. Beware of the itch that you can't scratch, unless it's an itch for justice. But beware of the other itches that you can't scratch, because if you can never be satisfied, if you're always looking for more and more, and can't stick with the place of praise with, with gratitude, more, more, more can so easily transition into gimme, gimme, gimme. And we don't want to become one of those devils. So that's one way that we deal with today's sons of Eli is that we make sure that we don't become one. But another is to train your vision to recognize one from junk. Once you can sniff out their sulfurous odor, you won't let them into your home, would you? They will try to come, but you wouldn't let them into your home. And even more importantly, you won't let them into your head either. They are brilliant at taking residence there. And once they get there, they start settling in and setting fire to everything. And the last way I'd advise you to deal with the sons of Eli in our midst is to guard your relationship to God. Keep it sacred. Listen to teachers. I hope to be one. Listen to good teachers. But beware of anyone who tries to insert themselves between you and God, saying that you must have them, that you need them. God doesn't need that. Sons of Eli, though, will tell you that you need them, that only they have the truth, that they are the truth and the way and the light. And that's blasphemy, and it's a very profitable industry. I call them Christianish. 
They talk about Jesus, but they do not know him. And remember, God's been very clear about the consequences of stepping into that kind of spiritual seduction. They face the wrath of God because they're that dangerous. And how can you be sure who they are? You know them by the ways that they try to call your belovedness into question. If someone doesn't affirm that you are beloved as you are, then they are not speaking with the authority of God's anointing. And I want to pause here because I was having a conversation with someone a couple of weeks ago that really brought this into clarity for me. Yes, I could be talking about people who want to be leaders in your life, sort of broader picture, but I'm also talking about people in our personal life who try to insert themselves and take us and keep us from our blessings. And as I was talking to someone recently, she was telling me about this person who she had started dating, and she said, you know, they're, they're really fun in some ways, and, and it really feels like this person is an answer to my prayers. Because I had asked God, send me the opposite of what I was married to before. I, I want someone who's just the complete opposite, and this person is. So obviously God sent them to me, she thought. And then I said, okay, well, tell me about them. If you believe God sent them to you, then I'd love to hear what sorts of blessings this person is offering in your life. And she said, well, well, no, I just meant that he's the opposite of the last person. It's a, you know, I got my prayers answered. And I said, can you give me some more details? And she said, well, he, you know, he's really mean and his temper is really strong. And he doesn't let me go out with my friends or spend time with people anymore. He just tries to keep them all to himself and on and on. And it was very clear that she was now in this abusive relationship, right? Oh, he doesn't like me to go to church because I come home with ideas he's not happy with. That sort of thing. And, and I said, so, and you think God sent him to you? And she said, yeah, because it's what I prayed for, the opposite of the last person I dated. And I said, this man is trying to insert himself into your relationship with God and to separate you from the ability to reflect on God. And you call that someone God sent you. And, and she said, oh, well, when you put it that way, I guess I have to think about this. And I tell that story to illustrate a point. So many times we have people in our lives, either you know, romantically, friends, at the workplace, wherever it, family, wherever it may be, who do the very same, who are not comfortable with our blessings, with our being able to receive a blessing. And they try to stop us from this so that they can control. These devils say, me, gimme, gimme, you are mine. You can't be God's. And then the sad thing is that we start blaming God for our pathologies we've developed that make us to think that way. Something in her past, something in her story had taught us, her, had taught her that she didn't deserve to be treated right, that whatever came to her was God sending it to her, 
that these behaviors that, that made her feel unworthy and not beloved were just simply what she deserved. And that's the danger. That's the problem when people come into our kitchen and try to stop our relationship with God, stop our praise with God, try to, try to steal what is rightfully ours, our birthright. They do this, and they do it to you, I promise you. If you take a moment to reflect, you will see the sons of Eli active in your life. They're somewhere. They will come into your kitchen and steal the food right out of your pot. But that ain't right. And it's not what you were born into. That is not your birthright. Anywhere, anywhere you walk, anywhere you reflect, where your belovedness is called into question, where you are not able to live out your blessing, where your ability to thank and praise God is halted, is a place where you have to focus immediately. And sometimes that place is right inside of you. Sometimes we're the very ones who are blocking our blessings. You don't need to do that anymore. If that's you, today's the day to get free. Today's the day to say no more. To say, you know what, that, shine, that light can shine on me. My blessings can shine on me. The love of God is for me. There's nothing wrong with me. I have things to work on, but there is nothing fundamentally wrong with me. I can thank and praise God, and, and God would never say, stop. Don't do it. You didn't do it right. All you have to do is give your heart in gratitude for who God is and who you are. And when you do, those sons of Eli have no power over you anymore. God is good. Amen. 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 We're glad you could join us for A Word from the Park. Please follow us for more episodes and tell your friends and loved ones how they too can hear a word from the park. You can also find us at www.parkavenuechristian.com.